Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the last episode, I reconnected after many years with Peter Hames, CEO and founder of Big Health. With dozens upon dozens of peer-reviewed publications and at least 13 RCTs, Big Health is at the top of the list of most studied digital health companies to date. Make sure to check out that episode to learn more. In this episode, I'm delighted to speak with Melinda Decker, Chief Commercial Officer of MIMI. Since we recorded the episode, MIMI, which started out via crowdfunding campaign, has recently closed an 8.7 million round. Congrats to the team. But before we dive in, I have heard a lot about Melinda Decker, but only just recently connected with her on the Shadow Digital Health Therapy podcast that Jim Joyce and I record every single Wednesday. Melinda did not disappoint. An engineer at heart, she has amazing commercial background, deep knowledge of science, and is just a super sharp professional with a sense of humor. And now we jump to my conversation with Melinda. I am here with Melinda Decker, Chief Commercial Officer at MIMI. And before I hand it to you to introduce your journey to MIMI and before, a funny thing is that we were told when you were, came on the shot of digital health, so Jim Joyce and I, I got questions like, you never met Melinda? And I said, well, I've heard of her, but we never met actually. So thanks to the shot of digital health for us meeting and here you are again. So please, I'll hand it off to you now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's certainly great to be here. And I'm excited about all the different avenues we're taking in podcasts and with different teams. It's wonderful to see. So I'm Melinda Decker. I know probably many of you, some of you I don't know. I am an engineer by training. I always mention that so that people know I'm a biochemical engineer. It's the way I think. And it's one of the things that sums me up very well. I started my career in research which is uh, not uncommon for many other people, but I think my personality is not a typical researcher. So people are sometimes surprised with that. The couple interesting tidbits that I don't think we got to cover on Shot of Digital Health is that I went to school at UC Davis, which is one of the premier winemaking, viticulture and enology schools. And I actually did most of my research in undergrad and grad school in that space. So shifted a bit to biopharmaceuticals later, but actually focused a lot in agriculture and viticulture analogy. So lots of good winemaking stuff before I got into healthcare. Close enough. And I know you spent time in life sciences and then now into the DTX. So what was your journey to the DTX industry? Maybe tell our listeners about that. So I spent about two decades in pharmaceutical companies, uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca primarily. And about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity as digital marketing was ramping up, uh, social media, all the other pieces to get even heavily embedded in digital, which then kind of led to digital health, digital therapeutics, and joined a team within AstraZeneca that was focused on using digital health in R&D and commercial to improve patient outcomes. So that was, I think, 2011 officially, I made the switch into focusing just on digital, but I was a marketer and an R&D and then manufacturing before that. So coming out of the pharma industry after two decades, I'm sure you had your options to join different companies, and I'm sure including other pharma. What's the background story of you joining MIMI, right? What attracted you to the company and to the leadership team, et cetera? So first off, I have worked in autoimmune disease for, um, for quite a while. So I actually worked on Enbrel for five years at Wyeth, uh, which now part of Pfizer. And so I already knew that space really well. And I'd also been leading oncology at AstraZeneca, which has a lot of immunology, which lays over in this space. But a few years ago, actually serendipitously, I ended up meeting the founder and CEO, Meta, 
at one of the digital therapeutics meetings, actually the inaugural meeting that Greg Green put on out in San Jose several years ago. And she and I ended up hitting it off there, ended up seeing each other at conferences after that. And along the way, she asked me to join as an advisor to Miami. And that was actually the first step. So I was advising other companies, doing consulting, trying to figure out, did I want to go back to big pharma or join a startup? when it presented itself about a year ago to join Miami as the chief commercial officer. I'm always curious what got, in this case, Meta started on Miami. Is there a story? What was a market opportunity? I mean, there's got to be some background. I mean, I, I always say that, especially in healthcare, you know, entrepreneurs start these companies for a reason. Yeah. And her reason was very personal. For a couple of decades, she'd struggled with autoimmune disease herself and wasn't finding answers. The science is evolving over time, and obviously there's been advancements in pharmaceutical treatments, but there was also advancements in understanding the food and environmental triggers that are going on in people's lives. Um, Stanford School of Medicine actually came out with something recently that showed about three-fourths of what controls your autoimmune disease is actually environmental. So that came at a time as Meta was you know, going through her own challenges and said, there's got to be something to this. I think she started with a spreadsheet and was tracking all of her symptoms, her food, you know, what she was eating in a very complicated way to say, can I figure out what it is? And along the way, she hacked her own health. We call her a little Sherlock Holmes of, of, of this. And she hacked her own health and figured out for her, a healthy food, chicken of all things, was a trigger that ended up being part of the reason that her symptoms would flare and her symptoms would present themselves. Amazing. It's, uh, you know, every individual is unique, right? So this, this is a little bit of, I think, the hypothesis there. And so I know you joined about a year-ish ago. And prior to that, you were advising and helping. I know Miami's history started somewhere around 2017. And while you may not have been in that startup room, I'm sure you have had discussions with Meta around it. So maybe uh, any kind of early stories slash hypotheses that she had at the time about the business going through some accelerators and a bunch of them, right? Which I think you take out certain things. Yep. So I think what's really interesting, although she's an economist by background, she actually didn't have a healthcare background. So those accelerators were actually extremely valuable as well as some team members she brought on to understand what kind of clinical evidence you'd need, what types of reimbursement models, who you would go after. This was not her world at all. Some of the things that you know I take for granted because I've been in the industry for 20 years is very, very different. And she was doing it just as a you know patient advocate, trying to help others like she had helped herself and make it available. So going through some of those accelerators really helped her understand what kind of randomized clinical trials she should do, what types of payment models, how much is this valued at, do you go direct to consumer? And I think over time, we've continued to evolve because also the market evolved. So that conference that I said we met at a few years ago, David Klein and Ed Cox were the co-chairs that day. And boy, have things changed for both, you know, Click and Vera, for example, in that time. And, you know, Omada was presenting, I'm trying to think of all the folks in the room, but at the time we were trying to figure out, do you go DTC? Do you go for prescription digital therapeutics? Do you go after self-insured employers? And so looking back now, it's probably comical if we found any of the early documents on what the business plan was, because everything has evolved so much. I'm almost afraid by the time this limited series of podcasts is over, we're going to have to do another one because so many things are changing. But actually, you know, you mentioned, you know, DTC, prescription, employers. Maybe you can talk a little bit actually about Miami's journey through that path. And to the extent you can, I know you guys are privately held even on some of the initial experiments and pricing and channels. Absolutely. 
So the first contract, so I can't talk about most contracts, but the first contract with a B2B client was with Oscar Health, and it was a fully risk-based contract. This also happens quite frequently when you're early on, before you have all the established evidence. And it was looking at actual you know, value-based contracting based on medication savings. If we can show improvements in outcomes that results in medication savings, we can get paid. Yeah, That's risky for investors, right? And it can be a lot of money, but it's a delayed cash flow. So you have to run, get the analysis, and then finally get paid. We've now expanded and we have uh, partnerships with employers and payers. And we also sell directly to consumers. So the price right now on the website for the direct-to-consumer is $250 a month. You actually can pay less if you pay in advance. If you pay for a year, there's a discounted price as well. But that's the price point. And then the price point for payers tends to be higher than that and also is dependent. Risk-based contracts tend to pay more. And you know, one of the things when you look at savings models is, unfortunately, the cost to treat autoimmune disease can be very expensive. So if you're talking about payers or self-insured employers, as an example, oftentimes people, you know, the clients, the members can be $100,000, $150,000, $200,000 for rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, based on some of the treatments as well as hospitalizations and surgeries like Crohn's disease. If you get admitted for the week for the hospital, you know, and get blood transfusions, it can be quite expensive. And so some of those things, if you can keep people healthy, what it's worth to them. You actually mentioned the different, I'll say, disease subcategories, maybe just for our listeners, because I'm actually hoping that it's not only, quote unquote, our crew that's listening, but some of the masses learning about digital therapeutics. But also, if you can describe a little bit of the autoimmune market. Absolutely. So the autoimmune diseases, there are over 80 of them. So there's some that are more common because you've seen television ads for psoriasis or lupus or psoriatic arthritis. Um, Phil Mickelson, for example, has an Emerald TV ad. You know, Cosentrix right now has Cindy Lauper. So there's different commercials that you could see in that space. It also includes multiple sclerosis, uveitis. It goes on and on of some of the common diseases, Hashimoto's. So there's a lot of different things that people would see. I would say, if you're curious overall, we have great information on our website, but as does ARDA, A-A-R-D-A is the patient advocacy group. And again, over 80 different diseases. Um, autoimmune disease is when your body is attacking yourself. It doesn't realize, and you know, obviously oncology is when your body isn't getting things and, and autoimmune is the opposite when we start attacking. And so it's common to have fatigue, brain fog, swelling in your joints. There's a lot of different symptoms we see in people, but again, it's quite a few different diseases. Thank you for that overview. And, you know, I'd love to actually, you, you mentioned earlier going at risk and doing the studies. And I know in October, specifically for lupus, you guys published an RCT. And I'd love for you to describe a little bit, let's not get into the details. I know you're an engineer at heart, but what would that RCT setup, right? Because you have a combination of digital coaching, content, et cetera. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the RCT published and what you've achieved there. Yeah, absolutely. So we had two publications last year, which is actually very exciting for a small company. And the second one was in JMIR in the fall, and it was focused on lupus patients, which is where we actually started our research. And lupus in particular is underserved for example, women of color. Um, there's a large population that is on government health insurance. And so there's actually a really, really unmet need. And that's actually where it started. This is predates me. And Meta actually, I think it was through some of the accelerator work, got connected up in Louisiana and New York and did some of the early work in lupus that led to what we have now. In general, it's setting up the RCT is making sure you're testing the Miami program, which as you said, is a combination of an app, data analytics, and health coaches. 
and we can get into more details about the value of that later versus standard of care alone. So do we see improvements versus what people are on? So people are generally on medications for autoimmune. So we're not replacing. It's just an addition, which is actually critical to say, you know, can they get better? In lupus, it's very common to have high steroid use, for example, prednisone. And everyone knows the long-term effects of prednisone is not great or other steroids. And so getting people to have lower dose or to come off of steroids altogether, a lot of people end up using steroids, high-dose steroids for months every year who have diseases like lupus. And that's actually some of where it started. And you mentioned earlier that you have a direct-to-consumer offering, you know, you're talking to employers and other channels, but at the end of the day, it comes down to that individual. And back to my comment earlier, I'm hoping that there's, outside of our digital health community, people are listening. Can you walk us through, as an individual, if I sign up for Miami, what is my experience? What does that look like? So you come to our website and you enroll. And you um, answer a couple questions and you schedule time to meet with a MyMe team member who gathers additional information, walks you through an app. We are all about outcomes. We are very focused that this isn't, um, this is a true digital, you know, health program that's trying to change outcomes. So we actually take baseline patient reported outcomes. So we ask you about things like how you're sleeping and fatigue, because we want to capture that and see how you're doing, for example, at four months or eight months or a year. That's also important data for us to have as real world evidence. So you collect and answer some of those questions. You then log into the app and do three days of baseline tracking, just an idea of what food you're eating. Do you eat lots of little meals? Do you eat a few meals a day? Things like bowel movements, how regular you are. We just want to track that. And then you meet with our health coach and you actually meet weekly with a health coach. Many people do it for, you know, four, four months or so um, where they meet weekly with our health coach and they are tailored over time what they're tracking. We're trying to identify what triggers food and environmental triggers. And we're also, we all know behavior change is hard. And so we want to make sure that you're motivated along the way to keep participating and can see the changes that come from that. So you actually meet with your coach for, I think the initial meeting's around 45 minutes, but after that, it's 30 minutes a week. And they customize the app to what you're looking for. For example, if you're trying to figure out if chicken or corn is your trigger, those will be only a couple things you're tracking that whole week. And then you track them and you track again, any symptoms, bowel movements, water intake, those kinds of things. And then meet with your coach again. And by the end, we actually find that I think at eight weeks, over three fourths of people have seen an improvement in their symptoms. And we're all focused on doing it in your own words with your own goals. If your goal is to take your dog on a walk or to get out of bed with less morning stiffness, those are the goals that we help you work on. You know, it's interesting because what you're describing is goes a little bit into my next question. Are you considering yourself a DTX and where does it fall in line between, or your own thinking, not necessarily even my me, the prescription DTX versus disease management 2.0, right? So the new breed of companies. So I'm curious, since you've been around the block, kind of on your two cents around it. So we have historically been a digital therapeutic, but as you do know, we are going direct to consumer over the counter, how people want to look at that. And we are available. You know, we do not need to be FDA regulated. We're treating symptoms of disease, not disease itself. And so trying to improve the symptoms, I should say not treating. And so because of that, you know, are we a digital care program? Are we a digital health program? I would probably lean more towards that. Obviously I've been, all of us, Meta and I have been super active in the digital therapeutics community. The question long-term about, do you want to be reimbursed 
as a prescription digital therapeutic, I think is a question many folks are seeing. Some of the folks who've had the most success, some of the companies and products have actually gone the over-the-counter self-insured employer route and done it that way. I think we are all eager to see companies like Payer and Achille have success with prescription digital therapeutics um, and try to make sure everyone understands the value that they bring and have it reimbursed in that way. But right now, you know, we are living in some of that um, gray space and seeing where that goes. One of the questions that I heard, for example, David from Click Therapeutics make a comment uh, about the price that they're reimbursed at, right? You know, combination of value that they bring and the cost that they save. And I think that's some of the question too about will people pay differentially for different types of programs? You know, if you could, for example, reduce hospitalizations and healthcare utilization by 25 grand and also improve outcomes, right? A combination. Could you see reimbursement at that level? I think people are very curious and would prescription digital therapeutic versus digital care programs make a difference? You touched that part of the journey as an individual, there is the digital platform, but also health coaches. So given the fact that you guys are going direct to consumer, you don't need a prescription for your service or through the self-insured employers, I'm going to just for a second, and I'm not negating the need for the doctors and the nurses, but just for a second, I'm putting them to the side because you are going direct to consumer. Can you talk a little bit about the health coach and, you know, selfishly, your coach health, right? We have thousand plus coaches on the platform. And so I think we believe in the same thing, but can you talk about the, the benefit of health coaching on top of the digital tracking? Absolutely. So we find that we have tremendously better outcomes when you have humans involved. And these are humans who understand your experience, can help motivate you along the journey. There's two things when looking at a program like Miami. One is in identifying the triggers. The second is actually sustaining behavior change. And as all of us who've worked in diabetes in the past know that the behavior change is the bigger issue, we all know that we should you know, drink less and eat less sugar and less carbs and those types of things, but it's hard to actually make that change. The same is true in changes to your diet in autoimmune disease, for example, or in your lifestyle, environment, stress, other things you're doing. And what we have found with the coaches is that we get much better results. People stay committed to the program. They get encouraged along the way. They get supported in the behavior change that they need to make in order to maintain the lifestyle of, for example, cutting out chicken from your diet or reducing dairy or some other things that people see as triggers. I'm going to jump back to your history of two decades in pharma. And, you know, I've been asking all the guests on this, the question of does DTX swallow the pill inside or does a pharma company swallow a digital therapeutic or a novel service because you can argue that if you have a, a molecular asset for one of those 80 diseases what you guys are doing is a patient support program on steroids that shows outcomes so i'm curious kind of where your guys head is on a the hypothetical future of the pharma and dtx relationship but even for yourselves i think it depends on the product and where they're headed to me, some of the places where it may um, logically start uh, some of the partnerships between them is when there's a product who, for example, needs to differentiate or demonstrate additional value. So imagine that you are forced to enter in a market of IBD products, for example, and you have similar efficacy or similar value. Imagine then if you partnered with someone like Miami and in combination showed even better results, right? So even better improvements in outcomes, even better healthcare reductions, you know, in, in healthcare savings, those types of things, that's where it's ideal. 
The other piece is, is in managing adverse events. So if I use the example of Miami, we know that a lot of the immuno-oncology agents work by activating your immune system. And unfortunately, sometimes a side effect is they overactivate your immune system and end up having autoimmune disease-like characteristics. And of course, we know that we want to kick cancer's butt and we want to keep people on the therapy. If we could manage those AEs, it would not only keep people adherent to those medications, but also reduce the cost. They wouldn't have hospitalizations due to, for example, a Crohn's flare, right? A Crohn's-like flare if they have been induced into something like that, right? An IBD-related side effect. And so those types of things are where there's tremendous partnership. One of the challenges with pharma is it's also working with some of the smaller companies because Right now in pharma, unless it's a multi-billion dollar product or has scientific capacity, it probably won't get prioritized. And unfortunately, right now, most of the DTX companies on their own, the products tend to be forecasted to hundreds of millions, not billions of dollars in peak year sales. And so as an add-on or at a smaller, say a small to mid-sized pharma, where a $400 million product would be a great product. That's where some of the opportunity lies, in my opinion, in the near term. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. It's still early days for digital therapeutics, and almost everyone seems to know each other still. As Miami set out to commercialize its products, did you find that other digital therapeutics founders and executives were helpful as informal advisors? Thanks for the question, Brian. That's a great one. First off, I'll just say absolutely. The digital health and digital therapeutics community is amazing. And clearly, you know, we have some things where we're competitive and we also have some things where all ships rise. And we also, if you track some of the people, we have people who've worked at multiple digital health or digital therapeutics companies, and they jump around. And we all know our paths may cross again in a couple of years somewhere else. The community has been fantastic. We've learned a lot. We share best practices. There are many of us who are advisors to other digital health companies. Some of the Miami advisors we mentioned, Mike Payne, for example, is one of the Miami advisors. And he worked at Verta before and at Gilead and is now at Zoom Plus Care and provides fantastic advice on things they're doing, you know, insights from that community. Yeah, and I'm going to chime in here because when Brian asked the question about the community, and that's actually uh, my hope and goal for this podcast is that this is, goes beyond very much a fast-growing community, but a little more to the masses to get to learn, but it is the same usual suspects. And I know this is limited series, and I'm honestly tempted to continue this because, you know, now I'm getting a bunch of inbound, amazing entrepreneurs around the world. So, you know, stay tuned, maybe, maybe not. But, um, you know, we started with you, Melinda, you know, who are you, what brought you to TTX industry and, and Miami specifically? But I'd like to also end this podcast with you and what gets you up in the morning? What is your why? So as an engineer, I could have gone into agriculture. I could have designed widgets or styrofoam cups. There's a lot of different things. Wine making. I mean, who, who doesn't love wine, right? There's so many things I could do. And yet I chose healthcare because what an amazing experience it is to improve patient outcomes, to actually result in positive things in people's life and really put patients first. I gave the example of talking about Enbrel earlier, and I used that I happen to be the head of consumer globally for that product. And one of the things I loved was 
I'd be over in Barcelona at a patient event with Jane Seymour doing some great PR. And I'd be the only person from the company there. And the patients would come up to me to thank me and say how Enbrel had taken them from bedridden to playing soccer with their kids again, right? Because autoimmune disease tends to actually hit people young, right? So in your 30s and 40s, this isn't your grandma's disease. And that experience is just the amazing impact that you can make. And that comes to things like patient burden and user experience and everything else to make people's, not just the outcomes in producing the medications or the treatments or the digital care programs like this. So I'm passionate about it. I love what I do. I think most people who know me know that I have a tremendous amount of energy. And so when I wake up in the morning, I love to go to work today and make these connections and try to help people be you know, empowered to be the best they can be. So that's what I heard about your energy. I absolutely validated that on the shot of digital health and I revalidated today. And you're more than welcome back here to Barcelona once things settle down a little bit with Miami. I'm sure there's stuff to do here as well. So thank you very much, Melinda. Thanks, Eugene and Brian. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dillon's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.